นะโมตัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนะโมตัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนะโมตัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทังธรรมังสังขังนมาสามิ
the Muslim year, it's uh, 13 or 1400 and something. So what year is it? <laughs> and when it comes to things like calendars and, and dates and days, then it can seem like something very abstract or sort of, well, so what? You know, we just, we, we, uh, we come to these agreements and we say, this is a new year, this is the old year, and we call it this number. And it's no, no big thing, nothing particularly special. We can uh, come to an agreement. Sometimes uh, they, they'll add uh, a, 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 an extra second to the year. Um, to the clock to keep the the turning of the earth in line with the agreed international time. In the past, when the the calendar really got out of whack, they they added an extra five days in one in one chunk, which really threw people off. I think there was rioting in the streets. Like, how can you give us an extra five days? It can't be the the same day five days in a row. You can't do that. But why not? People. Uh, uh, who were running the calendar decided, you know, we're we're really we're really behind. We need to catch up. So let's have an extra five days here. But when it comes to things like calendars or, or agreements um, of this kind of nature, it, it's no uh, no big thing. There's not a, a huge emotional charge to it generally. But. Uh, we live with uh, a whole array of different conventions, different agreements of this kind that we do have a lot of emotional uh, investment in, that we do they give a lot of power and importance to in, in our lives, in our minds. And so when uh, we can say, well, yeah, called New Year, you can call it the day after the full moon of November, or you can call it the... Uh, January the 1st or Chinese New Year, that's the new moon of February, yeah, or the uh, the Asian uh, solar new year, which is April the 13th. Uh, yeah, you can have these different new years uh, and uh, no problem to, to call that a, a new year, good excuse for a party, <laughs> day off work maybe. Yeah. But... Uh, the conventions that we live with that have much more emotional impact are our our names or our, our social status, whether we are um, doing well or doing badly. The the conventions of being a success or a failure, of being healthy or sick. Uh, the age that we are, are we uh, are we our working age? Are we retirement age? Uh, uh, how old are we? These uh, similar designations, whether we call it old or young, uh, these are, again, human agreements. As they say, you know, 60 is the new 40, or 80 is the new 60. <laughs> but, uh, and the, uh, it's no longer the case that uh, being 60 is, at least in the Western world, is considered being that old. Uh, whereas 40, 50 years ago, uh, when you reach sixty, then basically your life is is done, and uh, retirement is is obvious, and things are wrapping up. So, how old are you? What does that What does that number mean? When we reflect upon these kind of conventions that we live with, uh, and we uh, say bring attention to that, then we can we can see that uh, a huge amount of 
of our life, things we get uh, excited about, upset about, things that we're interested in, things that we give value to, things that are, uh, we build our life around, can be simply these these human conventions, these agreements of saying, oh, that you're employed, you're you're the uh, head doctor of a of a hospital. Oh my goodness, you know, you're chief consultant. What a wonderful thing! And then you're the uh, you get fired from that job, you get sacked, and then you're uh, and then you're no longer the chief consultant. You're kind of between jobs, and you feel you feel embarrassed. Oh, I got fired. That's that's a a painful, difficult thing. I was this important person, and now I'm uh, I'm not. Maybe I won't get another job. Maybe uh, it, that's all over. I can't I can't get uh, hired again. But what does that mean? Being, uh, uh, say, uh, having a a, a a particular role, a particular status, uh, being the abbot, being an ex-abbot. <laughs> the uh, the mind makes uh, the uh, the designation of value, takes a particular human agreement, and then makes something out of it. As Lumpo Cha in uh, one of his Dhamma talks said, uh, the uh, uh, very, very helpful ob- observation that uh, all the things of this world are merely conventions of our own creation. Having established them, we get lost in them, giving rise to all kinds of trouble and confusion. So we say that we are a certain age, or that we call something beautiful, we call it ugly, we say someone uh, is a, a, a impressive person or, a, or an irritating person. We um, <clears throat> we create these judgments in our mind. We give value to things. We uh, say act upon those perceptions, and we take them to be absolutely true. That uh, Lumpo Cha was extraordinarily skilled in a making these kind of observations in very simple, clear language, uh, but are extremely penetrating and helpful. So when we, when we take a, a reflection like that, an observation like that, that all the things of this world are merely conventions of our own creation, having established them, we get lost in them, giving rise to all kinds of trouble and confusion, then it helps us to look around and say, because um, maybe our first reaction is me. No, 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 no. I'm a dhamma practitioner. I don't get lost in those kind of things. <laughs> but uh, we do. That's that's how we build up our world. We uh, continually create uh, where <clears throat> how we position ourselves in the world: being a teacher, being a student, being in front, being behind. Uh, what value we give to that? Enjoying the position of leading, uh, fearing the position of leading enjoying being a follower or resenting being a follower. But what is leading? What is following? Where are we? And when we are observant, when we we look at at our life, look at our our judgments, we see that the the more that we can recognize the, the way that the mind adds value, adds meaning to these perceptions, these conventions, uh, the more that can be seen, how the mind does that, then the more is ha- the heart is freed from those conventions. We still use them. We have 
uh, okay, I'm I'm the abbot, so I'm sit in the on the the mat in the middle of the of the temple. <laughs> yeah. But if uh, if I think I am absolutely absolutely the abbot, and that's all and everything that I I am, then that's a cause for trouble and confusion, a cause for stress and difficulty. The um, the the more that we can recognize that these conventions, these agreements, are only that. Uh, then we can play along with them, we can use them, they can serve us, they can be useful to us, like deciding on which side of the road is the correct side, you know, the legal side of the road to drive on, that's a, that's a convention, it's a human agreement. And in this country, in the United Kingdom, then we drive on the left. If you're over on the other side of the channel, you drive in France, then you drive on the right. That's, that, that's the agreement. So you... Uh, you know there isn't an absolute correct side of the road to drive on, but if you're in this country, it's it's this side. If you're in another country, it's a it can be a different side. So we we can use the conventions that uh, we we live with. They can serve us to help make life more convenient, more easy. But uh, uh, if we are not able to recognize that they are empty and of no intrinsic value or meaning on their own, then we're always going to create the sense of difficulty, wanting to be seen in a certain way, wanting to, to say, be in a position of owning certain things, wanting to be, uh, say, uh, telling, uh, having a, an image of ourselves that, are, that we are comfortable with or, or we wish to, uh, say, present to the world and to be seen in those ways. Well, the Buddha talked about the different ways that the mind creates this sense of self, the sense of identity, and forms these kinds of uh, ways that the mind invests in this feeling of I and me and mine. And uh, this is uh, an area that is very useful to uh, to, to consider uh, again, looking at conventions in terms of when is the new year? Is it the Chinese New Year or the the the, the um, seven day week uh, uh, twelve month calendar New Year or is it the uh, uh, lunar New Year? Those are kind of just uh, uh, insignificant in many ways. They don't carry a lot of weight. But when it's the things that are emotionally loaded about how I feel, how people see me, how I see myself, uh, my feelings of gaining and losing, having and not having, uh, the way I want to be seen, the way I'm afraid of being seen, uh, people respecting my, my who I am, people not respecting who I am, then it's, all, it's a lot closer to home, isn't it? It's much more important to us, wanting to be recognized and respected, uh, wanting to be, to be remembered in a good way not wanting to have a bad reputation or to be disrespected. Those are things that have a lot more charge. So the Buddha's teaching is extremely helpful in this respect, uh, enabling the mind to uh, bring attention to those areas of attachment, identification, and helping them to, those, uh, those attitudes to be understood and to be let go of. The, uh, uh, in the Anatalakana Sutta, as I was talking about this morning in the morning reflection at the, uh, earlier today, uh, in the Anatalakana Sutta, the Buddha spelled out the three 
particular ways in which the mind forms the the sense of self, the uh, what we call sakaya ditti or self view. And the first one of these is that feeling of owning, the sense of mineness, the me, the owner, the uh, I am the owner. I uh, this is my body. This is um, <clears throat> the uh, the feeling of my mind, my thoughts, my memories, um, the sense of my possessions. Yeah, this is my monastery or, or my mind. So there's the I feeling, the I quality that is the the owner, that is the the thing that seems to be the the possessor, and that can be not just of your your mind and your thoughts, but also your your home. Uh, it can be that you know my job, my home, uh, my uh, or if you're a monastic, you know my dwelling, my my room or my robes, my bowl, my my things. Uh, my seat, <laughs> and that that so the feeling of I, the sense of I as the owner, and uh, uh, we might relate to ownership in terms of you know, owning a house or owning a car or you know, or you know, being the the one who is uh, say um, uh, the owner of authority is my responsibility, you know, it's my within my power to do this, you know. That those are are the sort of more obvious worldly ways of having that feeling of ownership. How much money I own—that my my uh, my wealth, my property—things have got my name on. But even in the monastery or even on the meditation retreat, we can get very possessive. Uh, a year or two ago, um, when uh, somebody was uh, one of the retreat managers. Uh, took the liberty of moving one of the retreatants mats by about four or five inches the uh, the retreatant who'd been someone been practicing meditation for 30 or 40 years was uh, uh see i think the word was incandescent with rage that's a good word like <laughs> completely like a volcano like what you move my mat you I'm going, and they were ready to pack up and leave the retreat because their mat had been moved by four or five inches. So that's that's mineness. <laughs> it's my mat. Yeah. How dare you touch my mat? That's my space. Yeah. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Don't you know who I am? So that feeling of uh, I, the feeling of owning. Uh, then the the second aspect that the, the Buddha points out is this: uh, say the the sense of of I as a being that you know, I'm the one experiencing this. I'm hearing this dhamma talk. I'm feeling. Uh, I uh, I understand. I know. I feel. Uh, I want. I am. So that that uh, quality of I as uh, the uh, the sense of being, the sense of of uh, existing, and being the the uh, the one who is doing that. I choose. I think. I act. That uh, the the I who is the 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 kind of um, experiencer, the doer. Now this might all sound a little bit abstract in some ways, but I'm I'm bringing this up because these are. 
say meaningful to to all of us if we take a look we can see that there are these different ways that that i me mine sense forms some of them can be stronger for us than others but they can all seem to be extremely real like right now you can the feeling of i'm hearing this dhamma talk i'm understanding this dhamma talk or i'm not understanding this dhamma talk or i'm wondering when this dhamma talk is going to be over yeah. right there there's a feeling of i am i'm the one feeling this moment i'm the one hearing i'm the one experiencing doesn't that seem like a real person doesn't it seem like a uh, a me who's uh, uh, say the the one who is having this who's having this experience this is my life my mind i hear i feel i think what is that iness that that sense of me Well, these teachings are all about how that is a constructed, compounded thing. That sense of I is also an agreement. It's a convention. We, we, it's like saying today is December the 30th, you know, a day or so before the end of the year. Uh, it's an agreement. It's a convention. We just call it this. And the Buddha is pointing out, yeah, this feeling of I, I the owner, I the doer, these are just conventions, uh, in this, uh, famous uh, uh, say, a description that is often quoted in the, uh, from the suttas where one of the enlightened nuns is approached by Mara and uh, is challenged by Mara uh, about her attachment to her, her body, her mind, her life. She said, uh, you know, this, this body is just like a, a, a chariot, just like a... Um, uh, a wagon that's put together that you can say this is uh, this is what I am, but it's just the the you know, like a chariot is put together of the the wheels and the axle and the footplate and the uh, and the rim and the, the the bar that the horses pull. But uh, these are just you, there's no essential chariot there. You take the pieces apart and there's no chariot. It's just uh, it's just. Uh, pieces of wood you put them together in a certain order you carve them into a certain shape and you say chariot you take the bones and the flesh and the muscle and the nerves and the brain and the and you put it together and you say person bhikkhuni uh, vajiri i think her name was in that particular discourse but there's no thing really there there's no person that's absolutely there you you take the parts put them together and it creates this conventional form you don't put the parts together, and there's no thing there. Like there's no essential chariot that is, uh, say, absolutely and, uh, <coughs> say, literally there. But it, you put the parts together, and it has a certain value, a certain purpose. But uh, you are, are um, you're not, uh, as a human being, you're not anything that's absolute and solid. It's like this gentleman who passed away, and it uh, seems there's a conversation going on <laughs> about uh, the, uh, uh, the funeral observances for him. So uh, a life comes to an end, and then we, we mark that. We say, this is this person's name, and we have a picture up on the shrine. We say, that person was born, that person has died, and these are 
uh, fairly distinct conventions that we, we live with in this human world. We still remember the Bhikkhuni Vajiri from from uh, two and a half thousand years ago. Say so that was her conversation with Mara that led to this uh, description of the of the chariot. So that that's a a, a conventional as a pattern that came together. But even that is still just a, a human agreement. We, we uh, things come together, and we like this temple. We say this is the Amravati temple, but you know it was a, an idea in the mind of Lumpur Sumato and the architect Tom Hancock, and they came up with drawings. And these oak trees were growing in the ground, and they, uh, the oak trees were cut down and formed into these pillars and timbers, and the bricks were earth dug from the ground in different places, and and uh, put together and baked, and then the cement came from different places, put it all together uh, in this particular form, and we say, temple. <laughs> but it's not absolutely a temple to the pigeons that live in the roof and that uh, uh, that settle here and fly around. Uh, that uh, <clears throat> they, they don't call it the temple. It's just their, their roosting space. It's a, just this convenient spot to land on. We call this the Amaravati Temple because that's just a convenient way of designating it and that we gather in this place on a, a, a dark wintry night at the end of the year, then this is a, a good place to gather. It's our observance day. We agree, okay, it's the observance day. We come together and we call this the the, uh, the one part night and have a Dhamma talk but, and so that it has a particular form. But the, the Buddha's pointing to the the fact that if you look, if we examine closely, that within that form, essentially, there's no thing there. there the, there's a, a a designation that we make, and that we use language and, and uh, ideas to say to uh, to talk about that or to to make use of it. But uh, if we look closely, if we examine, if we reflect and explore. There's no, uh, there's no thing absolutely there, and when that no thingness is recognised, there's a, a spaciousness in the heart. There's a, a peacefulness, an ease in the heart that that can be uh, can be realised, can be recognised. The third aspect of self-view, then, that uh, the Buddha speaks about, is what you can call the the narrative self, how we talk about ourselves, the names that we that we give, the the way we speak about who we are. When people say, "Who are you?" and then we say a name, or, or say, "What do you do?" Oh, I'm I'm a monk, or I'm a nun, I'm a te- I'm a school teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm retired, I'm the cook. You know, or, uh, I don't do anything. <laughs> the uh, the story that we tell about ourselves when we were born, who our parents uh, are or, or were, the town we were born in, the country we're from, the uh, the life story that we like to tell. So this is what you can think of as the narrative self, when we create uh, the idea of who we are. It's not just the feeling of I, the owner, or I, the one who's experiencing, but then there's this story that we tell. And that can vary from place to place. When uh, when you're with your family, you have one story that uh, that you tell. When you're with 
say, a group of people that you're giving a Dhamma talk to, there's another story. When you're uh, arriving at the, at the immigration, then there's another story that, that is appropriate. And so, but these are all say, uh, aspects of, of who we think we are. And uh, again, once again, the more that we give value and uh, absolute meaning to those, uh, those perceptions, then the more the heart is, is fenced in, the more the heart is, is apparently trapped within those, those boundaries. Now the, the middle way, uh, I would suggest, is that uh, the skill of, well, one of the ways of talking about uh, what we mean by Majima Patipada, the middle way, is how uh, the mind can use conventions in a, uh, in a practical and thorough way, but without being limited by conventions. So we use language to talk about the nature of language. We use conventions to talk about the nature of conventions. We use, uh, say, a, um, a, a, a quality like a word or an idea that has no essential uh, and has no essence, no essential meaning or value on its own, but the, uh, uh, when it's applied in a particular way, like putting together the parts of a cart or a wagon or a chariot or a body, then put them together and you get person or you get chariot, you get wagon, you get vehicle. Uh, you put the, some sounds together and you, uh, you can convey uh, a meaning, uh, an idea. Uh, so the, the middle way is both being able to they respect the value of a convention, but without, without uh, taking it as anything absolute, to be able to use the forms uh, and to, to know that they are just forms, they are just structures, they're just conventions. But uh, yet, if they're applied in a skillful way, then they can help the, the heart to awaken to that which is beyond convention. It can use a conditioned to help the the heart to awaken to the unconditioned, so this is a, a, a kind of marvelous and miraculous process, really. That by using the um, the the forms of, say, monastic life or Buddha's teachings or the the words of a Dhamma talk, that the the heart can awaken to the the fundamental reality of things. When the, the Buddha talked about different kinds of, of miracle, or different kinds of, of uh, psychic power, he said there are two kinds of, of miracle. There's the miracle of, of uh, say, being, being able to read people's minds or, or look into past lives or fly through the air. This is one type of miracle. And then the other kind of miracle is the miracle of instruction, that uh, you can hear words um, that are, are spoken and the the words that uh, that are heard can bring about uh, genuine changes in the heart. Uh, they can bring about a quality of understanding that is a, a a radical change of heart, an irreversible change of heart, and a development of understanding. And he said, of those two kinds of miracle, the miracle of instruction is the superior. That's the, the greatest kind of miracle. Now, when we uh, say. Uh, learn to recognize how the um, uh, taking words, ideas, reflections like these considerations about uh, self and not self and 
apply those ideas. You say hearing this, or there's these different kind, different aspects of self view. There's the the uh, the owning self. There's the being self. There's the the narrative self, or the the uh, the story of a of a of a self. And then applying those ideas, hearing these words, and thinking, "Oh my goodness, that's how it works." Uh, that seems to be so uh, so important, so real, so uh, so significant. Look at that. There's no thing there, huh? That which is, that which knows the person, that uh, that which knows this this story that is continually told about this this apparent me. That which knows the the, the story you know, is not tied up, is not limited by that story. That which knows the feeling of I is not I. That which knows the feeling of owning is not an owner. It it it's uh, it's aware of that feeling of mineness, that quality of 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 knowing. It's aware of the feeling of I, of mine, of meanness, but it's not I. It, it's not. Uh, anything that is doing any owning, it is not self. What a marvelous thing! And in that moment of recognition, then the heart changes. Uh, there's a a falling away of of limitation. There's a falling away of that prison of self view. The, the the prison door is open. The walls fall apart. This is a a, uh, uh, one of the marvelous things by the Buddha called the miracle of instruction. It's like when we can hear these words and apply them, bring them, really take them to heart, it can bring about that change of view, a change of perspective that, that shifts things in a, a radical way. And just to, to even for a moment have that recognition or that which knows the person is not a person. That which knows this feeling of I is not I. <laughs> the I-ness, the feeling of me, or I, or mine, those are feelings, they're attitudes, they arise, they take shape, they dissolve, just like this building has arisen, has taken shape, and one day it will dissolve, or like a, a word begins, it has its presence, and then it ends. That uh, Whether it's something of a, of a small nature or a large nature, a tangible nature or intangible, that things arise, they take shape, they dissolve. And that, uh, but that which knows their, uh, their arising, their abiding and their dissolving is not tied to them, it's not limited by them. So this is really the essence of vipassana meditation, insight meditation, is getting to know this feeling of, of I, me and mine, uh, to know it as simply as feelings, as, as attitudes that uh, uh, arise and take shape. They seem to be real, they seem to be solid and permanent, but they are, they're just uh, like any other kind of sensation, like the weight of your body on the mat or the chair, the feeling of the clothes on your skin, this, the, the sound of a word hit, uh, hitting your eardrum. Uh, these are just perceptions. And so that, in that moment of recognizing, oh, the perception of I, the perception of me or mine, that's mine, it's just another perception. There's no thing really there. And in that recognition of no-thingness, 
there's great peace. There's a, the, as the Buddha describing the the nature of nibbana, he said, "Is a, the uh, the uh, the uh, the nature of nibbana is like an island which you cannot go beyond. It's a place of non-possession, a, uh, a place of no thingness." Akinchanang, anadhanang. It's a place of non-possession. It's that attitude of mind that recognizes no thing can really be owned, and there's no one to own anything. <sighs> what a relief. No thing to be owned, and therefore no thing to be lost. A place of no thingness, a place of non-possession. That the world of things is just a, a set of conventions that we uh, we give value and importance to, but in essence, there's no thing there. That uh, thingness is just what the mind adds to a particular set of fluid, changing perceptions. When that's recognised, there's great freedom, great peace, and great ease. Oh, some of the ways that we can. Uh, Explore this, you know, the, even though these, this might seem to be kind of something that's, that's difficult or challenging. Sometimes the, the ways of, of uh, say, developing this quality of insight or quality of understanding can be quite simple. Just to let your, the mind be as quiet as possible, to be still and focused and spacious as possible, and just to to think your own name, the name that you go by. Just just uh, drop that name into the space of the mind with no story around it, no, uh, no introduction, no uh, judgments of good or bad, just thinking your name. Amaro. Amaro. When you uh, you take something that is so familiar, so ordinary, such an everyday uh, perception, using it all the time, you're writing it down, you're telling people that's your name, that's who you are. When you trim away all of the the additions and the accretions, the the things that get tacked onto that, just letting the mind be completely open and spacious, and just let the name just hover in that space. Uh, what you find is that your own name starts to sound, starts to sound extremely weird. Like, what the heck is that? <laughs> your own name is just so familiar that you say, "Well, that's who you are. That's what that's what I am. This is my name. This is me." But when you you take away the whole sense of uh, I'm, you're telling it to somebody else, or you're writing it down, or you're you're including it in some sort of narrative about uh, something, you're signing an email, or you're. Uh, talking to somebody, uh, that's what your name is in the coffee shop, that's what your name is, that's the name they're going to put on the coffee cup. <laughs> but when you stop everything, trim it all away, just drop that name into the space of the mind, then there's this, there's this kind of weird, eerie quality to our own name. Because in the heart, what the heart recognizes is that, what's that got to do with anything real? <laughs> There's this word, this set of sounds that go together with with this feeling of of existing, of knowing, of being. But what is that? 
So that weirdness is very, uh, if, if you can get a sense for that, that's something that is extremely uh, significant. That, that sense of, of dislocation, like, ooh, what, what's that about? What is that? That's the quality of, of wisdom, that's the quality of insight, recognizing, yeah, that's, that, that word or those set of sounds, that really isn't referring to anything real or solid at all. That's not what you are. You're not really a woman or a man. You're not really a old or young. Age, time, gender, nationality. All of these things are just uh, conventions that we, uh, that we say, attach to and identify with. There's no thing really there. Even simpler, just to think the word I, whatever your language, your native language happens to be, or certainly you can use English. Just let, again, to let the mind be as quiet and still, as open, as spacious as possible, and just to think the word I. I. And again, notice, even if it's just for a, a, a fraction of a second, just for a moment, there's something that recognizes, whoa, what is that? <laughs> what, what's, what, what's that? What's the thing that the, that the word I is referring to? Oh. Because in that moment, the heart recognizes there is really no thing here. There's no, there's no individual. I is a is a, a a kind of misplaced concept. Doesn't really apply to this this quality of of knowing, this quality of of uh, undefined being. Now, within the the context of of Buddhist practice, then these the, these uh, say methods or approaches are. Are there? There are tools that can be used to help, uh, say, illuminate those attachments and free the heart from its limitations. But on the level of convention, then that the Buddha is very, very clear uh, that on the level of convention and conduct, then the uh, the precepts are what we have to to guide our, our actions and uh, our speech. So that along with this radical kind of Letting go on the the dhamma side of the equation, on the uh, on the the sila side, on the conduct side of the equation, then the Buddha is very specific. You see that uh, yeah, all dhammas are not self, but uh, I undertake the precept to refrain from taking the life of any living being. <laughs> so that uh, the, those again, this is a, a, a another aspect of the middle way is that. The conduct and the and the insight, they work together as a pair, so that uh, the uh, the the dhamma side, the 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 wisdom side, is recognizing there is no thing there that the, all all dhammas are empty, all qualities of experience are intrinsically empty of uh, of substance, empty of value, empty of meaning. But on the conventional side, the, the 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 aspect of these bodies, these lives, and the, the way that we live and interact with each other, 
then there's uh, ways that our uh, our lives can be directed that lead towards peacefulness, that lead towards benefit, that lead towards well-being and and uh, harmony. So that on the level of conduct, then we refrain from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, or uh, we undertake celibacy, living in the under the eight precepts or in the monastery, to refraining from from lying and from using intoxicants and uh, and so forth. So vicha and charana work together, and uh, as uh, as often been recounted many years ago, and Lumpocha uh, said to the the young uh, Ajahn Sumato, you know, Sumato, you must find it really confusing that the Dhamma is all about letting go and the Vinaya is all about holding on. He said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, the Vinaya is all about do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And the Dhamma is all about let go, let go, let go, let go. So he said, yeah, Sumedha, you must find it confusing. And he said, yes, I do. <laughs> and he thought that uh, Lumpur was going to then launch into a, a detailed explanation about uh, how to how to develop that. But he all he said was, when you figure out how those work together, you'll be fine. <laughs> So that's the challenge that that we all have. That uh, it's just uh, like the the left hand and the right hand working together, or the left eye and the right eye working together. That uh, they are two different aspects uh, of our nature, two different aspects of our experience, and the the practice, uh, the development of the middle way, is is finding out how those work together to be both applying a sense of, of care and thoroughness in terms of conduct and speech, but also applying the attitude of of letting go, of, of non-grasping, non-clinging, in terms of of the, the wisdom faculty, the wisdom factor. And so that we're able to recognize, yeah, these are just conventions of our own creation. These are just human agreements, uh, but they... Uh, uh, they can be used skillfully or they can be used unskillfully. And so that we are then in the process of developing that middle way, we learn how to use conventions but without being bound to them. We use the, the forms of our, our monastic routine or our daily life, our working life, our families, living in society. We learn to use those structures of having a job, not having a job, being a senior monk, uh, being a senior nun, being a junior, uh, uh, having a role, not having a role, uh, being praised, being criticized, gaining, losing, uh, being healthy, being sick, uh, being old, being young, that uh, there's a, 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 a flexibility in the way that we relate to the conventions that we use, the way that we see ourselves, the way others see us, that we are able to recognize these are, are just, uh, uh, say, particular labels that have a, a value. And, and if we uh, see, are attentive, we learn how to use them skillfully to, say, to benefit ourselves, to benefit others. But then we're not bound to them when we are, are say, able to, to recognize the, the, uh, the quality of conventions, the, say these are just human agreements, then we're able to apply them with an attitude of, of non-grasping, non-identification, non-attachment. So in the terms of, of, our, of our practice then, the, usually the, the most simple way of keeping uh, 
an eye on where we get lost in conventions, where the mind gets caught up, is how solid that's that feeling of mine. This is mine. Yeah. yeah. This belongs to me. This is what I feel, what I think, yeah, what I'm doing. This is my job. Or <clears throat> this is who I am. To notice during the course of a day how strong those I, me, and mine feelings, uh, how, how solid they seem to be, how fixed and absolute, to bring attention to that, to, to listen to our own voices. That's mine. <laughs> you know, who do you think you are? Don't you know who I am? That's mine. To notice when we feel that, when we say that, to to be aware of the the strength that the mind gives that, and at that moment to recognize, look at that. You know, why is that so important? Who says that's mine? Where does this mindness come from? What's what is it that's doing the owning of this space or this cushion or this this job? You know, where does that come from? What is that? So to notice that we create these these habits of I-ness, me-ness, mindness, to notice that, and then to to challenge it, to say, well, what is it that the, that name is referring to? Who is it that has this job? What is it that the, the this story is referring to? What is that? Is that a person? Does this does this feeling? have an owner, this feeling of inspiration? Does this belong to someone? This feeling of irritation or annoyance. They say, I'm annoyed. Yeah. I'm upset. Oh, what what's the what's the I that is upset? What does it look like? Where is it? Does it have a a, a, a shape, an age, a name? So it takes a bit of effort uh, and and commitment to 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 bring attention to that, because normally the the mind gets lost in liking, disliking, approving, disapproving, gets lost in the moods. But if we take the trouble to examine that, you know, well, what is it that's owning this mood? You know, I say, I feel, you know, I, I'm upset. Well, what's what's the I that is that's the owner of that, that's feeling that, that's knowing that? Where is it? What shape is it? If there's the effort to challenge that, then uh, as soon as wisdom is brought to it, there's a recognition, oh, well, there's there's upsetness, but there's no I who's upset. There's inspiration, but there's not a me who's inspired. There's a, there's this story, there's this, this tale of, of a, a person who was born in this place or that place, but what's that got to do with anything real? And in that moment of recognition, that moment of, of wisdom dawning, that notice the, the freedom of heart that's there. Notice that sense of, oh, ah, that's different. Yes, there's a body, there's a personality, but that which knows the person is not a person. It's Dhamma. It's Dhammachat, Dhammajati, born of the Dhamma. The mind is not a person. The mind is dhamma, is uh, an aspect of nature. That's all. That which knows the, the person is not a person.
So I offer these uh, thoughts for consideration on this evening. <laughs>